The question for today is, what is the role of the Western Church in missions? Yes. So we talked last time some about the current state of the world and went over some of that stuff. So now we're going to dive in a little bit more to what's the role of the Western Church in missions today. All right. Does Australia have much of a missions presence? They have Hillsong, and they yeah. found, and Hillsong has founded churches in other countries. When we were in Thailand, we stayed with some Kiwi missionaries. So they're certainly missionaries from New Zealand. Which is basically the same thing. Exactly, yeah. Okay. All right, let's start with some of the strengths. Strengths of the Western Church in missions, right? Yeah, so we're going to be kind of going off this book that's called Western Christians and Global Missions by Paul Berthwick. So... I'll kind of randomly be sharing things from this book as we go through these. Okay. So strengths of the Western church in terms of like cultural strengths or like what they bring positively to the table. Yeah, I would say that's a good way of putting it. What they positively bring to the great commission table. Hmm. Before we get into those, any thoughts just on the role of the Western church in missions? I mean, definitely over like the past hundred years, it's been a massive force and missions right especially america but we're talking about the west in general but i feel like it's mostly even from america that that like force of missions work and missions training and all that kind of stuff short-term missions like you said for the 20th century it's been the primary thrust of missions i would say has been america Mm -hmm. and i think that kind of goes into some of the changes we were talking about last time as far as the epicenter of christianity shifting to other parts of the world and so how's that going to change the feel and look of missions yeah i would think um two major like built-in strengths of the western church as far as i know would be the economic strength and the strength of the church in those countries Mm -hmm. the fact that you you know you have a larger pool of church involved christians population wise and as a percentage of population i think and then also relatively strong uh, economic base. Mm -hmm. So that affords them the opportunity to more easily relocate. Oh, yeah, for sure. As well as easier to raise support from other people. Mm -hmm. And that traditionally has been the model. Yeah, so that's actually the first strength listed in the book is generosity and economic wealth. And uh, he actually said that 80% of the money raised for missions comes from America. That's crazy. That's a ton. Yeah, I think that correlates a lot to just even on like governmental projects or like the secular scale when it comes to charitable donations uh, for disasters in other countries. American donations tend to be really high, both just as the overall like bottom line number and also as a percentage of giving so maybe a little more of a spirit of giving than some other places and that probably correlates a lot to higher numbers of christianity right did you guys raise support for your mission trips that you did like traditionally send letters that kind of thing uh let's see only one of the two that i've done I've, i've done a mission trip to which i think i mentioned last time but mission trip to honduras and then a mission trip to Ireland. Mm -hmm. And so the Honduras trip, I was in high school and did letters to family and friends to raise support, as well as like fundraisers and stuff like that. Um, The Ireland trip, we may have raised a little support, but not much, partially because like Olivia and I were leading that group. So 
we didn't have to pay the full price for the two of us. That's nice. So we kind of felt like we could afford uh, to pay a lot of it out of pocket. And we were like adults and married at that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember what I did for Belize. I think they paid me to go there. <laughs> Who? The government of Belize? <laughs> no, but I actually don't remember that. I, I assume we did youth group fundraisers. Yeah. The youth pastor probably charged you double to go because he just wanted it to <laughs> you to suffer even on the front end. <laughs> yeah. Well, the currency in Belize was exactly half of America. Oh. So if you had an American dollar, it would get you two Belizean dollars. Okay. And they took American money, so you could use a dollar, and it just had double power. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jeff probably made us raise Belizean <laughs> currency. <laughs> That's interesting, though, because I, I remember being impressed in Honduras how far my money would go. You know, like how cheap like a gallon of milk was for me, and mm-hmm. I think a dollar was like three point something of their okay. currency pesos or guess is that what they use? I don't remember. Um, but we could do like a whole meal, chicken and rice and everything for like three bucks or two bucks American. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like my money was going to go so far. Yeah. So yeah, I, really I definitely nice. think there's a component of that. Like I can't imagine somebody from that culture trying to come mm-hmm. to America and raise money mm-hmm. and trying to like live as a missionary here. It would be like super difficult. Yeah. We kind of have that now. And with what we're doing, what do you mean? Uh, just because the value of the currency or just the economic standard is a lot lower. So I'm still adjusting. And so there's parts of me that like when I make the calculation for what does this cost in dollars, I'm just like, oh, okay, it's cheap. Mm. But then, you know, I'm trying to remember that we're kind of living on that scale now a little more. Yeah, different like, standard. Yeah, like we need. I need to be thinking more in the two groups than in the dollars because we're not getting paid in dollars. Mm-hmm. But I still have savings and stuff from America. So like it is there is that cushion but yeah it's it's definitely a lot easier to make the move this way than yeah yeah and i think that goes back to the strength we're talking about generosity um because it feels like a good roi you know i i remember our cousin chris in ecuador saying we can do a lot with a little like we don't need a lot of money to make a big impact but we do need some <laughs> yeah and i just thought that was a great way of putting it yeah it definitely like encourages generosity because you realize how much your money can do mm-hmm. in some of these countries yeah so i think i think that's really big i think that's also been a factor in the generosity of churches giving towards missions in a lot of cases because you can appeal to that roi factor of you know for oh it's kind of like the cliche too on these like ngo tv commercials where it's like for just whatever dollars a day you could feed a village or whatever but there is kind of that aspect of it yeah. whereas versus if they're going to a more expensive country then it's a little more like you know we're asking for you guys to help raise a normal salary for us to live on mm-hmm. whereas when you're in these poorer countries it's it just everything goes farther yeah that's the experience, actually, that we had in Ireland a little bit when we were there. It was kind of the opposite. Mm. Not not much more, but we they used the different currencies there. They had the euro, some, and then also the pound, right? Mm-hmm. Because Northern Ireland is controlled by the UK, and that's where we were. And so both of those currencies, I think, are close to the dollar. I know the euro was uh, stronger than the dollar when mm. we were there. And so you, it, things definitely felt you had the opposite feeling where it was like, wow, for even for this like bottle of you know soda, mm. am I paying more or whatever? Yeah. It's like being at a theme park. That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> it definitely makes it harder to like be encouraged to go to those places. And I feel like even when you're like raising support, when you're saying to people like, hey, we're taking a mission trip to Ireland, people are like, what? 
Like, seriously, that's not a mission trip. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys are going to Ireland. Yeah, it sounds kind of vacation-y, I guess. Right. So anyway, it kind of makes it difficult when you're going to these higher, I guess, income countries. Definitely. Another strength listed is optimism for change or a belief that change is possible, um, which I think is an interesting observation. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, a lot of these... A lot of these are a little hard to step back and like look from the outside, you know, like you kind of have to compare to like another culture than just the one. And us all being from the same culture, it can be a little harder. If only we had someone that didn't grow up in America in one of our homes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Does anybody want to comment on uh, American optimism? (laughs) Any non-Americans feel like Americans are more optimistic than We might get some non-Americans in here. Definitely we're more optimistic than Russians. Yeah, American culture kind of, they're more optimistic. Here, have one of them come over to the mic real quick. (laughs) Okay. Do you want to, oh, I'll, I'll, yeah. Do you want to share your thoughts with the mic on that? Towards change. He doesn't really want to. Oh, he's got multiple <laughs> non-Americans in there. So you can interview him, Paul. Hey, Jacob. Hi. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about... Can you hear me? Sure, yeah. Okay. So we're talking about potential strengths of the Western church. Okay. And so one of them listed in a book I read is that Americans have a belief that change is possible mm-hmm. or kind of an optimism for change mm-hmm. to happen. Oh. Do you feel like that's true from your experience or not so much? Well, I haven't been with too much Americans on, you know, like all my life, uh-huh. but there have been some American influence, such as my teachers. And yeah, I have been around some, you know, uh, entrepreneurs slash missionaries. And I felt like American culture definitely is a little more optimistic than especially Asian countries or, mm. you know, we're more conservative. Mm. And we kind of... Uh, approach life in a more conservative manner i guess yeah but i think these americans are a little more you know they think you know whatever they can do whatever they set their minds to kind of a you know yeah. uh uh attitude yeah yeah <laughs> so i definitely think there is that part yeah especially americans when you think of it, they're more entrepreneurial they like to like you know create new stuff and try new things yeah, I definitely think there is that aspect. Cool. Yeah. That's helpful <laughs> to hear. At the same time, we might exaggerate how much that's unique. <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, what does that have to do with the church? I didn't really get it. <laughs> well, uh, just in the sense of with missions, believing that change is possible when it comes to economic development and oh. like planting churches, reaching oh. unreached people groups, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I see. I think that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thanks, Jacob. All right. For, appreciate cool. the input. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Let's give him a hand, everybody. <laughs> so moving right along through some of these strengths, um, another one is experience in and resources for training. So basically an uh, abundance of resources that other countries might not have when it comes to missions and training and such and such churches, seminaries, libraries, that kind of thing resources are available i guess that would be a combination of the uh higher education 
background Mm -hmm. and the higher rate of Christianity. And again, it just goes back to affluence too, like just having resources and time to go to school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you also have all the missions training stuff. I had a student last semester who did like a D now or or not D now youth with a mission. uh, DTS. yeah, Yeah. DTS. And so he had that exposure and training, you know, which is definitely readily available in lots of different ways mm-hmm. for exposure to missions, which I really think is huge. Yeah, we've done lots of work with Cornerstone as well, doing trainings and Barnabas International, who does debriefing retreats for missionaries. Uh, just lots of good resources there. Yep. Okay. Hey, last. Yeah. Do we need to get back? To, wait. Do we need to get back to whether we raised support on our different mission trips? That was on point one, Daniel. <laughs> we've moved on i know but I, ne- I never said anything about it <laughs> i thought you tried to move us on <laughs> well you were the one who tried to move us along from that okay go ahead did you, did? Did you raise support oh. daniel go ahead daniel did you have something to say about go that ahead. go ahead it better be good <laughs> every time <laughs> and it's hard <laughs> no um my very first one, again, like when it was a church-driven trip, then that was kind of built into it. And when you're, I think when you're in high school, mm-hmm. it's it's more kind of accepted as like, yeah, young people like get one of these, you know, like you get a chance to do this <laughs> yeah. once. And I think there's basically no um, social embarrassment about asking for support when you're in high school, I feel for like. Sure. Just one more strength I wanted to mention, which is history or basically experience. So just saying we've been doing missions for a long time. So something comes from that. In the book, I like the way he says it. He says someone once described experience as a person who has made every possible mistake and tried to learn from them. Yeah. Um, So with experience and mistakes comes growth. Yeah. I mean, we definitely, if you feel called to missions, often you can go to mission organizations, say, I feel called here. And they'll say, here's Mm -hmm. what you need to do. Bang, bang, bang. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And this is kind of like they've got it all laid out for you. So, yeah, I see that for sure. Yeah, there are so many things that Cornerstone International here in Wilmore does for new missionaries just because the director was on the mission field for, you know, 12 years. And so, so many little tips that he has and just wisdom from people that have you know, they know a thing because they've seen a thing. Is that the slogan? <laughs> Who is that? The, yeah. uh, Farmers or bank or something? Is that? They, uh, yeah, only it's a That's thing right. or two. <laughs> Maybe it's not farmers. They know a thing or two because they've seen a Are thing. Are there any other strengths that we haven't didn't mention mm-hmm. that you guys can think of or is that cover it basically? Well, let's not uh, jump along too fast here because <laughs> uh, Paul just set up a great lead into our sponsor. <laughs> Who we need to thank for this episode. <laughs> we are farmers. I know he got the slogan wrong, but <laughs> we appreciate them nonetheless. It's the heart that counts. <laughs> I tried. I tried. There are other strengths that we could think of and also in the book, but let's keep moving. Because again, the question really is, what's the role of the Western Church in missions today? So oh yeah, all of this is supplemental just as we're trying to kind of resolve that question. So let's mention a couple of the weaknesses, though, um, just in contrast. Again, there are several listed in the book, but just a couple I thought were interesting. The first is pluralism. Um, Have you guys seen that? I mean, I definitely see that as an issue within the culture. So this is more recent, right? I would say so. I think a lot of it comes from just this extreme emphasis on tolerance and not wanting to offend anybody. 
And so when you have the gospel, which says Jesus is the only way to God, that sounds very narrow and closed-minded to this younger generation that's had tolerance beat into them. Do you feel like you see that with the youth at all, Joel? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm. that's something that I try to address a lot, like I said, within the culture. So hopefully, like the students that are around, they're aware of that as an issue of a cultural like pressure. And so we even did like a, Olivia and I did a sermon not long ago about like just false teachings within the church. And one of them was that like the concept that mm. there's multiple ways to God and um, mm. just how much students feel uncomfortable telling somebody that they're wrong or that like their beliefs are incorrect. Mm -hmm. And that's like, yeah, it's yeah. so that can definitely be a, a barrier, whether it's missions or not. But I think in missions, there's mm -hmm. that a added complexity of the cultural difference that you you don't want to push against necessarily like mm -hmm. their cultural differences, but then you do need to address where, where does the gospel like correct the way of life and how does the gospel address the, the fallenness in your own life and culture, even if it's there. Mm -hmm. So just wrapping up pluralism, I'll just say, I think that's something for Americans to be aware of because obviously it dramatically affects your desire and seeing the need to go preach the gospel if you don't actually strongly securely believe that jesus is the only way probably pretty obvious but that was jesus's last command literally was for us to go and teach and baptize so yeah. well anyway preaching to the choir but <laughs> can't really ignore that exactly um again there are several weaknesses but one more i wanted to mention is a disconnectedness with poverty. And so this is kind of the other side of the coin. We talked about the generosity and economic wealth and the strength that that can have. But the other side is a uh, disconnectedness from the poor it can be a weakness. We can get so comfortable in our lifestyle and culture that it's hard to go to these rougher, more third world country environments because we're so used to this high, comfortable standard of living. Also, I think that some people from America I have this concept that like if you don't have money then you can't be happy mm -hmm. and so like we have like all oh, these poor people need help with their just living like how can I teach the gospel to them they don't even have any money mm. I mean def there's definitely a place for like getting water and food and stuff like mm -hmm. that but yeah the, meeting those physical needs yeah meeting physical needs but a lot of people who are very poor are very content with life and that's something a lot of times like people who go to those countries are struck with. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be a barrier is thinking like, how am I supposed to like mm -hmm. preach the gospel to these people if they don't even have money? And it's like, they don't need money necessarily. Like they're okay. So some people, mm -hmm. you know, in some situations. Yeah. I do think there's something to be said for, but even this, it just really depends on the person, but there can be times where people are not mentally in a place of being able to really ask the like deeper questions about the purpose of life and all of that because they're too preoccupied mm -hmm. with just daily survival. Yeah. But on the other hand, that simplicity of just focusing on survival and the hardness of life can mean that they're free of a lot of the distractions that we have with our affluence and the lethargy and comfort in that. And that can make the message of the gospel even more appealing because they can sense that it's not the way probably it's meant to be, you know, and that resonates with them that something has gone wrong in this world and that there is yeah. going to be set right one day. Well, I think the concept that like religion or 
faith comes after all these other components. Like it has to be built on top of strong family and strong physical situation and all this other stuff. Once you get all that settled, then you can talk about and think about faith. I think that's just not right at all. I think that yeah, no matter it's misordered priorities. Yeah, it's a misordered priority for sure. And no matter where people are in those other situations, I think there there's that longing for faith and for um, belief, not necessarily like as part of a tier list. You know, I think it's it's more like overarching, you know, overarching need no matter where people are as far as that stuff. All right. So let's keep moving toward answering the question of what the role is for the Western church in modern missions. So we talked about some strengths, some weaknesses. Again, we could talk way more about those. But moving forward, some best practices. The first one I want to talk about is just an attitude of humility. And that one of the big aspects of that comes with listening and learning. I think this goes back to that idea of partnership with really being able to par partner with the local people and then listen and learn from them. Um, Daniel, do you feel like you've seen examples of people doing this well in your travels? Yeah, I definitely think that I've seen examples of that. Most of my experience has been in Japan. When I was in India, I was mostly dealing with indigenous pastors and evangelists. So well, also here as well, actually, my father-in-law has taken a lot of effort to be handing off leadership of the evangelistic team and the ministry to the Mongolian Christians mm. um, and, you know, just kind of passing off more of the decision-making responsibility to them. Mm. And my, my awareness of all the results of that is, is still a little bit limited because I wasn't here. But one of the results that I do know about is that in recent times, probably thanks in large part due to that, but also some probably other extenuating circumstances as well, their cooperation with local churches in their evangelistic efforts has increased a lot. I know that my wife has talked about when she was younger and they would go on evangelistic trips, they were always having to set up kind of camp to stay on the outskirts of a town for the night and then do evangelism the next day or two and then pack up and go to the next place. Mm. And they're still doing mm. that kind of evangelistic approach but now usually they don't have to bring the tents because they'll stay at a church or with church members or something like that oh so, that's cool so yeah that's kind of exciting just in general for uh -huh. strengthening the inter-church connections throughout the country and all that with that comes more opportunity for cooperation with other church members or other ministries who are interested in kind of seeing how this team does evangelism. Mm. I would say in Japan, what, what I consider to be some of the more effective missionaries were those who worked very closely in tandem with Japanese believers or Japanese mm -hmm. pastors, because while there can be that strength of having the novelty and the like safer cultural distance to be able to say these things more frankly and not not come across as intrusively or, you know, like, why are you saying this kind of thing? As a foreigner, it's a little more accepted. That, okay, let's hear what this guy thinks. But then that very strength can also be a weakness because it's like, okay, interesting to hear about your faith, but I'm not a foreigner like you, so what's the relevance? So having that sort of lowering the barriers or that um, kind of diplomatic immunity to be able to phrase things a certain way and maybe be listened to more, mm. but then also having a Japanese pastor or an, let's just say an indigenous uh, believer there to 
not only fill in things that are lost in cultural difference or lost in translation, but also to just demonstrate, even by their presence, if nothing else, that this can be a way of life that is relevant and applicable to our people. Yeah, that's good. Mm. And Joel, when you were in Ireland, you were working directly with someone, a, a local person, right? Yeah, that's right. There's this couple that has like long-term missions there. And so they're the ones who brought us over basically to help with their missions. And so we had that connection with the actual on the ground people, which I think it makes a big difference. Just knowing that they feel like that we're there making a difference, that they appreciate us coming, that they feel like it's like helpful to their ministry makes a big difference on, on that. Another point from the book, just as far as kind of a tip for best practices and missions is something that the author calls purposeful reciprocity. Um, basically a purposeful give and take between the missionary and the local partners. So building relationships on friendship and not money would be one, letting the local people take care of you and then letting go of control. I mean, I've seen this where people, it's hard for them to accept generosity from the local people, mm. um, but that's so important in really establishing a healthy partnership and relationship. When Riley and I were in Africa, one of the partnerships we saw there seemed very one-sided. Uh, like they were very quick to receive, very used to the foreigners kind of providing and paying for stuff. Um, and it really did affect the relationship that you're able to have with the people. Whereas when we were in Southeast Asia, the partner we were working with there way out in the mountains of Myanmar near the border of India in this amazing town called Hakka, you know, I remember we all went out to eat and the local guy paid for all of our meal and he was um, just so excited to host us and to give to us as we experienced his town. And uh, if we would have said like, no, no, like we'll pay for it. You don't need to be paying for us. That would have been harmful to, to the relationship. Yeah. I think there's a lot of cultures that have that aspect of host etiquette. Mm -hmm. A lot of the cultures that I've visited definitely have that you're the person visiting our country. We just assume that we're going to be paying for your stuff, you know, mm. that we're going to be planning things for you, like taking you places, feeding you, that kind of thing. Uh -huh. And even though, especially like in India or places like that, there is that reality of like, this is probably a sacrifice for them in a way that it wouldn't be for me. Mm -hmm. And over time, again, I think there can be that reciprocity in that they've maybe hosted you several times to where you can offer, okay, this time as thanks for all you've done to, for me. And that can be a little more socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. But I've been places before where I was specifically told be sure that you don't turn down, you know, anything that you're offered. Yeah. Let them pay, especially like the head of a family or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I do think that that like bottom line thinking often can be a weakness for Westerners or for Americans because mm -hmm. so many other cultures just aren't like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember uh, talking to an Indian student here at Asbury who was saying when he came here, people from church or wherever or other students invited him out to eat. He's like, oh, great. And he's like, and then we all went to the restaurant and they expected me to pay for my own meal. <laughs> he's like, what? You invited me. Like, why am I going to pay for my meal? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I've actually, I've heard of a lot of foreigners in America having that same kind of experience yeah to where they just assume like you know the person who does the inviting does the paying and then americans just assume 
you know, everyone's self-sufficient. We don't pay for each other usually. Yeah, exactly. For us, it's almost like an insult. Like, I don't need you to pay for my meal. I have money. (laughs) But that point about letting the people take care of you, I think is really important Mm. in building your inroads because, Mm. again, that goes back to this, like, American sense of independence. Yeah, Um, yeah. But that very independence means that you're not as interconnected. Mm-hmm. And when you're not relying on people, then you're not having as much of a relationship with them. And that, I mean, it's kind of obvious when you phrase it that way. But I think a lot of times as Westerners, we just totally miss that. Definitely. Even within your own culture, I remember hearing it said before, and I don't remember if this is a famous quote or what, but I remember hearing in the past, if you want to strengthen any kind of relationship with someone or like repair a relationship with someone, the one of the best things you can do is ask for their help on something. Mm. Like it's counterintuitive for us, but when people feel like they have something to give and they have something to offer and they, they're needed, that can go a long way towards building their affection toward you, whether it's because you're a f- person they didn't know, a foreigner, or if it's even just mm. somebody who didn't like you very much like it can start to repair those bridges when they feel needed yeah that's really good yeah and if we truly believe it's more blessed to give than receive then we'll allow other people to give you know we'll give them that opportunity toward the end of the book um, he gives a few answers to this question of what our role is. And this is just based off a lot of interviews with missionaries and, and international Christians. So I wanted to read off a few of those just because I think that's interesting when answering this question. And then we can kind of give our final thoughts. Okay. Somebody said, we need your optimism and the belief that change is possible. So we talked about that one a lot. We heard Jacob's perspective on that. And here's um, somebody else that agrees. Another one is your zeal and assertiveness and willingness to dive in if they are tempered with wisdom and local relationships can be very helpful. Like that. Your cultures in North America have gifts and creativity. Not sure what that means. That does make sense to me from at least the like in comparison with Asian cultures. Not that they don't like obviously there's some, you know, great musicians and great artists and everything, but generally speaking, I think Western or North American, especially society, pushes a little more like self-expression mm, okay. than and out of the box thinking. Whereas, I mean, I'm I'm really specifically thinking in terms of how education is done and how like schooling is mm. done. To where in mm. a lot of the Asian countries, it's it's very much like there's the right answer and you answer the right answer, and there's less interpretive answers where you ha- you have to sort of defend your mm. thesis. Okay, yeah, so so I could see how that would be helpful with the missionary coming in and, and bringing in some creative, maybe outside-the-box thinking to how to solve problems in the community. Another one is, oh, well, another one is very similar to that. You enter into situations with the desire to figure out solutions to problems. Um, so that goes hand-in-hand. Hand. And then also we need to partner together financially. So that's, again, just emphasizing the strength that finances can bring and then kind of the two concluding answers is first it's all about relationships so we talked about that a good bit building real genuine authentic relationships with people local people is huge 
And that's something that I saw, I've seen on all my mission trips is I feel like the most effective work are the places where the missionaries have really good, genuine friendships with local people there. And then number two is it depends. <laughs> so that's kind of a cop out in a way, but it depends on the religious and political climate of the location. It depends on the skills we offer. We talked about that some last time with short-term trips. You know, what skills do you, are you actually bringing to the place you're going? Are you a craftsman or a doctor? Like, how can we use those? It depends on the condition of the church and the location about which we're asking. It depends on the willingness of the cross-cultural servant to adapt. Um, that's a big one. It depends on the country's or region's opinion of North America. And then as far as kind of listening to specific requests, something we can bring is equipping, cooperating to reach unreached people groups, mentoring, technology, and then teaching on giving and generosity, which I thought that one was really interesting. That was a specific suggestion from a woman in Kampala, Uganda, who said, we haven't had much teaching in our churches on generosity. That's an interesting thing that I thought an American missionary could bring. Anyway. Teaching on generosity to the other cultures or? For, yeah, for the culture you're ministering to. Hmm. Which again, I think that's, that's an interesting thing because Americans may have that bias kind of against people who are more poor and think like that it's not the place to teach generosity to people who don't have much, but it still is. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, and it empowers the people when they start giving and supporting their own people. Yeah, especially when they're dancing countries. down to the altar to uh, drop off their tithes like they do in some African cultures, oh, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, in Liberia, tell you what, that was a picture of cheerful giving. When we were there, we did, had a bunch of revival services. And uh, during the sermon, during the sermon, if the when the pastor would make a really good point, you'd hear somebody, mm, yeah and then next thing you know they're kind of dancing down to the altar and throw their money down and dance back to their seat <laughs> right in the middle of the sermon golly <laughs> i love it it's good so any final thoughts just on this whole topic of what is the role of the western church in missions i mean i i think that different cultures are going to have different things to offer in their own missions work and it's important not to, I mean, I'm, I'm an optimist, right? So uh, I'm an American optimist. <laughs> so I would say like, don't focus so much on like the negatives or the issues that you've had, but like lean into your strengths. And as a, as a culture, I think we have a lot to offer still and should really, should really continue like press into that rather than be discouraged by maybe some like issues that have happened. I agree. I hope it doesn't come across as too like patronizing, but I think maybe leaning more into the mentoring role and not trying to take on a, we're going to keep this going. You know, we're going to be the financial support forever, or we're like helping to set up systems that can self-sustain mm -hmm. probably will be wise going to the future. And then I think definitely the Western church probably can learn a lot from these other places as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I would boil down my thoughts to going into missions with just a sincere servant's heart. Yeah. Um, that you're legitimately going to serve and to try to let the people lead. Kind of taking like a Barnabas role and coming alongside someone in ministry, mm -hmm. um, propping them up. That's good. All right. One final thing in conclusion that I wanted to talk about. 
basically at the end of the book, he's just giving like tips. So what are some things we can do now? And one of them is get to know the world. So he talks about how global, geographically illiterate a lot of Americans are. So for example, two thirds of Americans age 18 to 24 could not find Iraq on a map, you know, and that's after a lot of yeah. US involvement. Yeah, US involvement in Iraq. This same study also found that less than six months after Hurricane Katrina, 33% could not point to Louisiana on a U.S. <laughs> Can this be real? I'll go, that's within the age bracket, right? Within the ages of 18 to 24, Americans. Still still unacceptable, but yeah, a little more believable, I guess. Still unacceptable. So we need to get to know the world. So in order to do that, and in honor of... The 2021 Tokyo Olympics. I have a little game for you two. Cool. A little competition. Oh, all right. Hey, this is new. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking last night when the, all the flags were coming out, you know? Uh-huh. I was like, I need to refresh my geography because there was a time <laughs> when I knew knowledge. like most countries and I'm like, ah, I'm rusty now. I need to, I need to do this again. <laughs> so, Okay, so this is a little game called Can You Identify the National Anthem? Oh, no. Oh, anthem <laughs> so okay okay so i have a handful of okay. national anthems from around the globe that i'm going to play and whoever can say the correct country first will get a point and the winner will get well i'll announce what the winner gets after <laughs> an all expense paid vacation <laughs> yeah <laughs> an all expense paid vacation to mongolia <laughs> <laughs> oh I, I like my chances <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> if that's the prize, I feel like I'm the favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, coming up. Sounds like Rugrats so far. England. Hey, one point for Daniel. <laughs> God save it sounded like Rugrats to start with. I knew, I did know that one, just for the record. You were just too slow? Just didn't get it in time, yep. Did you know that the gender changes depending on who's sitting on the throne? I did know that, yeah. But that'll probably never change again. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, at number two. All right. Sounds like... It has words. Okay, that sounds like uh, like Holland or something like that. No. Germany? Nope. Belgium? Nope. Switzerland. This one's a little bit for Joel. Oh, is it Ireland? It is Ireland. Oh, wow. That must be the Celtic. Point for Joel. Woo! You listened to that every day when you were there, right? Oh, yeah. I still do. Every every night before bed, I listen to right. it. <laughs> but I usually start about a minute in, <laughs> yeah, so I couldn't recognize it before no, that. I just wanted to build the anticipation there. You're just confident that I wasn't going to get it because I sure wasn't. There's there's different versions of these anthems, you know, so that affects uh -huh. that affects how it sounds quite a bit. That's likable, though. One to one, number three. 
any thoughts? How fun. Yeah, it's nice. It sounds like, again, like a strong European country, like an anthem, so maybe uh, France or Italy. Definitely or not Spain. France. Honduras. I think the style makes it sound more European than it is. Okay, there's a good clue. Let's go with uh, one of the... What'd you say, Daniel? I was like, Mongolia? <laughs> I don't think I actually know. Close. Um, is it Russian? China? China! Oh, wow. That doesn't sound Chinese. I guess that just goes to show how uh, American broadcasting doesn't like to show the medal ceremonies unless Americans win, because <laughs> I'm sure China has won a ton of medals, and I do not recognize that. Okay, two to one. Moving right along. Uh, that was not a strong performance by either of us. No. Canada. Oh. <laughs> Devlin. Is this the Frenchman or English? It's in English. It's just a little bit hard to hear. Yeah. Very nice. That's one of the easiest ones because it says the country in like the second word. Yeah, you know, actually a lot of them do. That that was one of the hard things about finding songs <laughs> for this. They just say their country. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was fast on the trigger on that one. I think we all know that song. Yeah. Yeah, that one's a classic. Yes. Thanks to Corner Gas. We're big Corner Gas fans, which is a ca Canadian show. That's right. It's crazy how old that show is now. Okay, number five. Australia? Nope. Is it like New Zealand or? This one's near and dear to my heart. Or Scotland? Belize? Oh. Did I hear Belize? I said Belize. Yeah, Daniel did say Belize. Wow. I honestly, I was just thinking English-speaking place that I wouldn't have heard before. <laughs> <laughs> Land of the free and everything in there, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Land of the free by the Carib Sea. Ah. Oh, Carib Sea. Oh, that's why. Well, All right, Joel, you, you still so got room to catch up here. Really? How many are we doing? <laughs> Coming in on number six. Yeah. Ukraine. <laughs> oh, Lord, I like this one. Israel? Israel. Israel. Oh, good guess, yeah. <laughs> nice sounds cool that's great i don't think i heard the israeli national anthem while i was there now the best you can do is tie joel oh, okay if i get them all huh maybe we should edit this to where he got some <laughs> coming in on number seven 
India? Close. Nepal or... Hey! We have a Nepal. Oh, nice. I hadn't a clue. A little bit of a, a Bollywood sound there. It does feel kind of like climbing up the mountain. Yeah, there you go. Not only do they have a unique flag, they have a great national anthem. Who knows what else they might have. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Joel stays in the race. Number eight. Spain? Yes! <laughs> oh, nice. I like Did it. Did you hear them say it? I heard España, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had registered that it's a Spanish language, but then, you know, that didn't narrow it down so much. Very nice. good, very good. Yeah. We have five to three. Joel's hanging in there. Gotta nail these last two to tie, right? That's right. All right, here's a hard one, but a fun one. I'd be pretty surprised if either of you get this one, actually. <laughs> Cool. Wow. <laughs> it's like a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, for real. Tuvalu. <laughs> like Estonia? Iceland? Switzerland? <laughs> it's in South America. Oh. Oh. Well, uh, Venezuela. Or Chile. There's not a ton of <laughs> options in South America. Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay. Yeah, Uruguay. <laughs> Brazil? Uruguay. I think I heard oh, Joel wow. say it. <laughs> <laughs> I heard me say it too. Uh, shucks. I'm in a rut. Okay. Right, last one. Yeah. Last one. Oh, no. Joel can win. I can tie. Oh, good. My trip to Mongolia is safe. <laughs> <laughs> Number 10. Japan. Japan. <laughs> it is Japan. That one was fast. The intro is like the most memorable part. I've actually heard the Japanese national anthem before, so... I remembered it being very mellow. It's very short. Congratulations, Daniel. One it's more bonus that I would have used as a tiebreaker, but take a listen. This is the last one. Okay. This <laughs> is just for fun? Just for fun. <laughs> Mongolia. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The throat singing definitely helped. I kind of wondered wow. from the beginning, and I was like, ah, I should know this song. But that throat singing really sticks out. Very good, very good. Congratulations, Daniel. Thank you. You are the winner of the 2021 National Anthem Olympics. <laughs> so no more this year. No more <laughs> And as the winner, you receive the honor and privilege to write the Three Sigler Podcast Anthem. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Next week. Yeah, so we'll look forward to hearing Do we want that. a long anthem or a short anthem? Hey, it's up to you. You're the winner. <laughs> wow. You just very humbly put yourself out of the running to begin with. 
Alrighty. Well, thanks for playing. Thanks for talking. Good stuff. We're headed to Arkansas. We'll talk to you guys soon. That was a lot of fun. And... I kept thinking that Anthem is probably going to show up at some point. You know? Uh-huh. I knew I didn't know it. But... <laughs> Joel had a little comeback there. <laughs>